What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. everyone and welcome to another episode of Raising Adults podcast. We are so glad to be with you today and particularly because we have a guest with us today. So we're all remote. So we're like partial laundry room, partially my bonus room. And then we have a guest today who is somewhere else. So like there's three locations. And as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, we want to just remind you to please bear with us if you do hear any house or kiddo noise since we are all together and there is a possibility for that too. But today we're talking about something that really crops up for, I would say, most if not all families, and that's dealing with picky eaters and how do we navigate that as parents? How much do we intervene? How much do we not? What even, where does that even come from? And so we're really delighted to have Rachel Rothman with us today, and she's a childhood nutrition expert from Nutrition in Bloom, and she is going to share with us some amazing strategies and just some of even why this happens, and I think you as parents will find it very helpful, and I know that Kira and I both deal with food issues with our children, but in really different ways, so I think we're going to come away personally learning a lot too. So Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to Raising Adults. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be talking to you both. We are glad to have you. And could you start just by introducing yourself and your work and just tell us a little bit about what you do and your family? Sure, absolutely. So I am a pediatric dietitian and a feeding expert. I have my private practice, Nutrition and Bloom, and I've had my practice for a little over three years. Um, prior to that, I worked at a um, local, I'm located in San Diego, so I worked at a children's hospital here doing um, some inpatient and some outpatient work with um, kids and families and really decided to go for it and start my own practice. And now most of the work that I do is with um, parents with children of all ages. Um, and we really, my, I feel like my goal is always to help parents just feel more relaxed when they're feeding their kids and also more empowered and more confident. And um, one of the things that I specialize in is working with um, really extremely selective or picky eaters and really fostering a healthy relationship with food for, for all of the people that I work with. And what I mean by that is really, um, wanting children to grow up trusting their bodies and trusting their intake. And um, I have to say one of the things that really resonates with both of you and your podcast is how you are really doing that um, it, as ter- in terms of raising adults. And I feel like that's sort of what I'm doing as well is really wanting um, kids to grow up be- feeling as though they're competent eaters and liking their bodies, liking, enjoying eating. I'm so excited. And what an important way to encapsulate that. I was like, that is a great description. And what a great goal to shoot for, that it's not just about getting your kid to eat a variety of foods, but also how do they feel about themselves as an eater once they're grown? I mean, I have to admit, I've never really thought about it quite like that. That's fascinating. So before we get to the actual problem solving and all the nuts and bolts, could you maybe share with our listeners why this even happens in the first place? Like, why are so many kids picky eaters? Where does that come from? What is that about in the first place? 
Yes, absolutely. So this picky or selective eating is very, very common. Uh, most kids kind of go through it usually around one or two years of age. And so what's kind of happening, if you think about it developmentally, they're becoming toddlers. They're becoming more aware of themselves, of others. They're really gaining independence. Um, they're learning they can say no and that they have a say in things. So from a developmental perspective, it's actually really great. We want our kids to be independent and um, to be more self-aware. However, from a feeding perspective, it's really frustrating because now they can say no to us. They can kind of test us a little bit. They can and start throwing food. So all of these things are kind of happening at the same time. Um, so, so most, usually like one, two, maybe two and a half years of age, they all kind of go through this, um, go through this at some point. So that's kind of why picky eating is normal. Okay. So I am, as I said, so personally very excited to speak with you because I have two very selective eaters and it went exactly how you just said. They ate everything and then suddenly they ate nothing. And I want all those things that you just said for them. I want them to have a healthy relationship with food, with their bodies, blah, blah, blah. And then as a parent, you get this like, I want that and I need you to also not die from starvation. And so there's this panic, I think, that sets in as as parents. And so anyway, this is a long way of asking my question, which is, we have really tried to get our kids to at least be open to trying new foods, right? That it's like, you don't have to like everything, you don't have to eat everything, but we really want you to just taste everything so that you can figure out what you do like and what you don't like. And it's like my two have already decided they don't like it before they try it. So you see them, their little faces like scrunch up and they like stick out their tongue just a tiny bit and they'll eat like the teensiest little morsel of whatever it is. And they're already saying no, or I don't like it by the time it's touched their tongue. You know, there's like nothing's actually happening in this moment. <laughs> and so I'm just curious, like when you're in that situation, how do I get them to try these new foods with a positive mindset, to go in with a, I might really like that this could be something new to add to the five foods that I eat. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yes, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And I'm actually going to kind of take a step back. And when, um, when I think about trying new foods, I think a lot about short and long-term goals. So short-term goals would be, we want our kids to be meeting their nutrition needs now. We want them to be meeting their vitamins or minerals, you know, growing okay. But then when it comes to these long-term goals, these are the goals that are really related to trying new foods and expanding their, what they're eating and kind of eating more of a variety. And what I find that really works best is when we kind of look at this piece of trying new foods as this like long-term goal versus it happening like today. Does that make sense so far? I think so. Yeah. What does okay. that look like? So um, I'm going to tell a brief story. Hopefully I can keep this brief, but um, there's a feeding therapist. Her name is Marsha Dunn-Klein, and she has this wonderful story about um, traveling to a new country and eating crickets for the first time. So do either of you eat crickets or have you ever eaten crickets? I do not make a regular habit of eating crickets, Rachel. Actually, yeah, no. I, I, I cannot say I've ever had a cricket in my mouth, at least not voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> This story will work for you, but if any of your listeners have eaten crickets, think of some food that's just random that you've never eaten before. And let's say you are traveling to a new country and crickets is their delicacy and you're going to stay, maybe you have some family, you're going to stay at someone's house, you've never been there before, and crickets are served. And um, 
they say, oh, would you like some? Do you want to try some? You're probably going to be pretty hesitant to try it initially, right? You might kind of want to look around, watch other people eating it. Um, You might want to maybe pick up that cricket, maybe smell it or even like lick it or just kind of check it out for a while. And it might take you a couple of days. Maybe you're served it a few nights in a row before you actually try the cricket. And um, you can kind of think of this as for a lot of kids, new foods are their cricket. So them trying new foods, they they might have a real fear behind it, or there might be um, something else going on that makes them a little bit more hesitant. So when it comes to trying new foods, we want to think about it kind of as a cricket, where we want to focus on, instead of focusing on them trying new foods immediately, what I kind of recommend is thinking about, okay, how can we get them to interact with those foods and have these like positive interactions, even if it's not eating that food right away? Because a lot of times what happens is it's those interactions over a period of time that are going to get them to eventually eat the food. So what I recommend is instead of, you know, kind of thinking about how we talk about food at mealtime. So instead of try a bite of your broccoli, I know you've eaten it before, or I know you like it, something like, ooh, this broccoli smells really good. Or, oh, when I touch this broccoli, it's really bumpy on my fingers. How does it feel to you? So kind of taking away this pressure piece. um, I find that a lot of parents put this pressure on their children when it comes to mealtime and don't really have that trust of their children um, kind of meeting their child where they, where they're at or kind of trusting their child to meet their own needs. And when, when, what I find is when there is this pressure, children kind of tend to pull back from it. So trying to sort of work with them and, um, encouraging them at mealtimes. I love the idea of that. And I can already kind of see where that pressure has come from, at least in, in our household. Um, there's definitely just like a lot of stress around food, you know, like you talked about relaxed meals should be meal prep should be relaxed. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like the exact opposite of my experience. So I, I can imagine, you know, I have twins and I can imagine one of them really, really loving if I kind of took that approach. I think my fear is that the other one would just never, would just never do it. And what, like, what do you think about that? Are there some kids that just won't and that's okay? Or do you find that really like when you back off completely, things just naturally unfold? Yes, I will say this. It's like so easy for me to say this so much easier said than done, right? One of those things where I can say this, but then when you're in the actual mealtime, I mean, I know I have two young kids at home, like mealtimes get really stressful. But I will say that it's this pressure piece. And I I don't think it's something that, you know, all of a sudden, you're going to go home and say like, okay, no more pressure, you know, just like, whatever. But um, but it can be learned over time. And what happens usually is most kids will kind of realize that pressure piece is off of them and sort of maybe be a little bit more open. Um, that being said, though, you know, there are kids who are naturally more selective or a little bit pickier who it takes more time or there are going to be a variety of foods that they never end up liking. You know, we all have foods that we don't like either. Um, so, it, but it's still about, trying to take that pressure off. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a ton of sense. And do you, I have kind of a follow-up question on this, Rachel. Do you recommend that if families see there really is, you know, even when there's not pressure, they've maybe got a child who's more going to lean into, well, then I know I don't have to, so I won't. 
do you recommend families supplement in some other way and that they try to calm down and tell themselves it's okay, I can give them a vitamin or what do you, what do you recommend if there is a nutritional component that might be missing, but we don't want to escalate the pressure just to get all those nutrients in? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And that's, again, going back to like those short and long-term goals. So short-term goals is how can I make sure my child is meeting their needs today? So that might be with a vitamin. That might be with um, eating foods that are fortified, like cereal or even um, Pediasure or something like that. I mean, it's so hard for me to make a general recommendation, you know, um, versus like a specific child. But um but I think sometimes we have these ideas in our minds of what our child needs to eat to meet their nutrition needs. And um, sometimes it's more than what we actually, what we think. So for example, protein, I find to be a really big one where a lot of times we feel like our child needs a lot of protein. But if we look at a food like pasta, um, pasta has some protein in it and our pro- protein needs aren't huge. You know, usually if your child's eating maybe um, one protein, one component at a meal or snack time that has a little bit of protein in it, they could most likely meet their needs. Um, So I find that, that yes, kind of going back to answer your question is yes, wanting to kind of look at their diet over a period of time. Um, Whenever I work with clients, I I do a lot of nutrition analysis for them. So I'll have families like fill out a three-day or a seven-day food record. And the reason I have it over a period of time is because no one day really makes or breaks nutrition. Um, So it's important to kind of look at that over a period of time as well. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if they go on a three-day chicken nuggetarian strike or something. You don't want to base their whole life on a few rough days, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And that is, I mean, there's so, I feel like with kids and feeding, I mean, of all ages, there's a lot of like, some days they eat a lot, some days they barely eat anything. And it's kind of true for us too. If you think about yourself, you know, some days you might be exercising a little more, so you're hungrier and you eat more. Other days you just might not feel as hungry. So that kind of up and down is really normal. And I think sometimes we get so focused on like one meal that we, um, that we lose sight of like that long vision for nutrition. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and I'm excited that this is maybe what I'm hearing, but if someone's in a position like mine where they have, you know, older kids, eight-year-olds who are kind of, you know, chicken nugget kids, as I like to call them, um, you know, chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, that link to the idea of short-term and long-term. So like short-term to maybe let go of that guilt that like this is where we're at and I need to make sure they're getting their protein and their, you know, their nutritional needs met, but focusing on those long-term goals and giving myself that space to grow into that whilst allowing them to eat these things that maybe aren't perfect, but are going to help at least keep them nutritionally where they need to be. Definitely. And, um, so there's a, a, a dietitian. Her name is Ellen Satter. She's also a family therapist, and she talks about something called the division of responsibility. So she talks about how, as parents, we decide what we're offering, when and where we're offering, and then we let our children decide how much they're going to eat and whether they want to eat that food or not. So what that kind of means is that we really decide on the what. So we decide on what we're offering, and then we let our kids decide if they're going to eat it, how much they're going to eat or not. So 
kind of what, what you're saying is yes, you set the menu. So that means maybe you offer like the chicken nuggets, the mac and cheese, and then maybe with a new food that your child's just kind of exploring so that you can be sure they have an opportunity to eat foods that you know that they like while they can kind of explore maybe a new food or sometimes called like a non-preferred or a not yet food. Wow. I love that. It's amazing. And it's so simple and yet profound at the same time, because what I was thinking about when you were talking about, well, think about yourself as an adult, you have hungrier days and less hungry days and how we can inadvertently, I think not just with food, with so many things in parenting, but certainly here as well, we can inadvertently be kind of holding our children to a standard we don't even meet. And that is so interesting to me to just to say, you know, even I have days where I eat more or less or healthier or less healthier, or maybe a more well-rounded nutrient picture on one day and one day, not so much. I don't know. It's just, that's really fascinating to me. So we've, we've talked about kind of this mindset piece and how much parents not applying pressure is really important, but are there then maybe specific techniques or things we should be doing around that, that can help our more selective eaters, or at least expose them to things. Since you also talked about, it may take really several exposures for them to want to experiment and try new things. What are, what are things that you find helpful? Are there specific tools that, that families have tried that you've seen prove beneficial? Definitely. Um, so I think one of the biggest things is, um, family meals. And if you can eating together with your family, um, and even if, I mean, that might be once a day, I mean, now that we're home a lot, it might be more than once a day, but, um, if you can just kind of being together as a family, it might be a couple of times a week. Cause I know families are really busy, but that component of modeling for our kids and, and them kind of seeing what we're doing is a really big piece. Um, I work with a lot of families whose kids are really selective. And a lot of times when I start talking to the parent, the parent might be really selective too. There's definitely kind of this genetic component. So if we're able to model some of these things, that can be really helpful. Some other things that I think work really well is just exposure. So for example, if you can get your child in the kitchen or um, interacting with foods, even if that might not mean that they're going to eat that food at dinner time, but maybe they'll help you like break up lettuce or, you know, like snap green beans or something like that, where you're, it, it goes back to that interaction piece. So you're, you're giving them more opportunities to interact with the food, which will help them feel more comfortable with the food. And then hopefully eventually down the road, they actually try it or eat the food. I love it. I love it. This is such, it's like such good, pardon the pun, food for thought for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it had to be said. I mean, come on. Um, so one of the things that I worry about as a parent is the the concept of five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. I mean, I personally don't even get five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. Um, and so I, I'm curious, is there a thought around that? Like, hey, here's a good minimum to aim for. Like, is there a way to take pressure off of those of us that really are like, I can't hide it in the smoothie. My kid will taste it. I can't, you know, like you hear all these great, tips that are, I think are really good for most kids. And then those of us that really do have those selective eaters, you know, they see right through that spinach. They can oh, taste yeah. that spinach, you know. So is there a rule of thumb that could help us just feel more relaxed and better? Like, you know what? We're okay. We might be at minimum, but we're doing okay. Yes. Such a good question. And um, I will say I am not a fan of like portion sizes and some of those guidelines. I know I'm a dietitian and nutrition is so important, but I, 
you know, similar to you, hear from a lot of parents that it's so stressful to try to think about your child meet, you know, meeting all these needs and eating a portion of something. Um, so honestly, okay, I, what I would think about is, okay, fruits and vegetables. Yes, the recommendation is five servings. Why is that? It's for vitamin and mineral content, right? So for the most part, and there's fiber and some other things. But if your child, let's say they're taking a multivitamin, multimineral supplement, they could be meeting their needs. Um, or if they're, you know, if they're eating beans or just making sure they're getting their fiber in another way. So, um, so I, I almost don't want to even say like there's a minimum that you should be meeting, but what I would think more of is, okay, are they meeting their vitamin and mineral needs? Can I give them something that will help them to meet those needs right now, even if it's not fruits and vegetables, which is okay. Because in that, like going back to that long term, we want them to eventually enjoy those fruits and vegetables. We want them to be like, have that intrinsic motivation to eat those fruits and vegetables. So we can do that by, you know, meeting those short term goals with maybe something else and then getting them even though it's not ideal in the long term, we we work on getting them in there in the long term. Did that make sense? Yes. Okay. I feel like I'm going to cry. It's really <laughs> reminiscent Go for me. It. Uh, yeah, like it, it's very reminiscent for me of the like experience that women have breastfeeding and when they are struggling with breastfeeding and when you work with a specialist that's like, well, really, you just need to keep breastfeeding and like push through those hard feelings and sacrifice your mental health and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's really refreshing. And I had this experience personally when you talk to a professional who's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Take a breath. Like there are other ways to go about this that are OK. And that permission to not be perfect at this. And I just am really moved by your approach because I think we don't hear that enough. We don't hear enough people telling parents, you know, you have permission to not be perfect with this yet. Definitely. <laughs> so um, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, a lot of the clients that I work with, when I see them, they come to me with this like guilt or shame or this vision of how everybody else is doing it. And why can't their child just, you know, just eat the strawberry or just eat, like even just eat the mac and cheese, let's say. And they feel like, they're doing something or why, you know, it's, I, so I think, and, and that again reminds me of about the, like the breastfeeding piece, there's like this guilt component. But um, I think when we can like take that out of that and really normalize that everybody's on a different path when it comes to feeding and like, that's okay. You start wherever you're at and then you move forward from there. Yeah. Because food is so personal. You know, we've all got, not all of us, but a lot of us, myself included, it's not just feeding my kid. It's also wrapped up in my own relationship with food and my fears for my children and their relationship with food. And it's the same with breastfeeding, right? It's not just feeding your baby. It's like your womanhood and your motherhood. And it's such a complicated topic. And and I think we're often just presented with this like two-dimensional version of like, it should look like this and your toddler's plate should look like this. And, you know, without any room for all that complexity. Yeah. And we see these like Pinterest pictures of like these school lunches and all of this stuff. And we're like, oh my gosh, my child doesn't eat that. So taking like that piece just totally out of it. Um, and again, it's like that mindset piece can be really helpful. It's so amazing because I, I think this is already even reshaping I feel better already. I just like Kira said, I'm like, oh, I'm doing okay, which is which is so great. Like we we exist to make parents feel better. And <laughs> this is this is doing that because obviously I have older 
children and teens and young adults, but they definitely are, they definitely have their own preferences where, where food is concerned. And I actually have one who's really sensitive to texture too. And that is, that I know is probably a whole issue, but I'm wondering if you could maybe talk to those who have youngers and so they can look forward to this or those of us with older children and kind of let us know how that trajectory looks. Cause I'm sure it's different for everybody. I don't, I don't, my house is only one microcosm of what this looks like. So do, would you say kids tend to quote, grow out of this or does it, is it just really dependent on the child? And what about for us as parents? When do we know, okay, they're big enough time to let go. What was there a point where it's just more harm than good to kind of intervene anymore? I, I know that I'll be honest and maybe I'm outing myself and you're going to scold me, Rachel, but I have really become quite hands off with this. My youngest is 16. So I have one who is almost entirely vegan and I have just embraced that and I just make sure there's food in the house that matches that. And I also have one who is maybe more what we might think of as a more traditional eater, but isn't as much of a fan of produce. And so I've been more hands off with that. Like I might say, I'm heading to the store today. Could you just let me know one veggie you would be open to snacking on this week? And and then I, I leave it. I bring home that one thing and I'm happy that it gets eaten, but I'm not struggling that there's not maybe a vegetable every night at dinner or something. So I'm going to just out myself that I've let go of a lot of this just because it's more important to me that they're, they're eating. (laughs) And especially as they're growing and there's so much brain development in these teen years too. And I really want to highlight that, but maybe you recommend a more hands-on approach. So I'm just curious what you think about that progression. Yeah. So um, I'll first touch on that last piece. And I think that's really great actually that you have that hands-off approach because I mean, when we think about it, that's the ultimate goal. Like you, when your children are not in your home anymore, when they're going out with their friends, they're going to make their own choices. So if you're able to get to that point, I think that that's awesome. And I think that's wonderful that you're able to kind of embrace what you know that they can do and that what they can't do. So I will first say, I think that's, that's great. Um, And kind of speaking about that texture piece or sensitivity, I work with a lot of families that um, their children might be like hypersensitive or hyposensitive or have um, some kind of sensory challenges or different things going on. And it really affects eating. And I, I think sometimes we don't realize that as people who maybe don't have, you know, who are just able to eat and not really notice it, but those sensitivities affect eating a lot. So a lot of the families that I do work with, they might be in occupational therapy or even feeding therapy. So there are like if you feel that your child's really struggling, there are definitely things that you can um, do as interventions. Um, but kind of what what typically happens is, I will say, in terms of kids kind of growing out of this, again, it, it depends um, where they're at, but usually around like maybe four or five, they, t- they tend to grow out of it a little bit. But um, we also have to remember that every child is going to have some foods that they don't like. And, you know, some we as adults, like some adults are more selective than others. So it's just going to depend. But the more that we can really foster that trust in in really trusting them to make a lot of these, the decision of what they're eating, the better off that they'll be in the long term. 
I have I have um, one last question for you, and then we want to hear like where we can find you and how people can get in touch with you if they'd like to talk to you more. And that's about snacking. Let's talk about snacking. Thoughts on snacking? Like, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm so hesitant to be like, yes, have your third granola bar today because that's the only option that is available to you. What are your thoughts on on snacking in general and then a good way to kind of give our kids that option and let them, you know, practice being in charge, but in a way that keeps them healthy? Yes. Great question. I have so much to say about this, so I'm going to see how briefly I can talk about it. But um, when we, when I think about snacks, I feel like we've kind of been pigeonholed into like what a snack should look like, right? Like a granola bar or um, goldfish. And not that there's anything wrong with those foods, but I like to think about snacks as mini meals. So um, what I do here is, is I love having families kind of set up a meal and snack routine throughout the day. So having um, like breakfast, then maybe a morning snack and then lunch and then an afternoon snack and then um, dinner and then maybe a bedtime snack if it works with the schedule. But um, setting up that routine, I find can be a really great way to one, avoid your child just kind of grazing throughout the day and um, giving them kind of some structure for the day, especially for younger kids. Um, When we think about like when kids are in school or in preschool, they have that routine in place for them, right? They usually have like a morning snack and then lunch. So having that routine in place. And then when we go to those snack times, Yes, you could either, you know, with some of the younger kids, I like giving them maybe like two options or three options just so they don't, you know, they have a couple of choices. Um, some As they get older, then you might have like a snack cabinet or let them choose. But what I say is at those snack times, let them kind of have as much food as they want. Um, because especially when they are going through growth spurts or... Um, they're just feeling extra hungry. We want to make sure we, if we go back to that division of responsibility where we provide, they decide how much we want to make sure at each eating opportunity, we're giving them, um, enough food to really like satisfy their hunger. So then, okay, at the next eating opportunity, they then, you know, digest their food, feel hungry, and then they'll like eat again at the next meal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm curious, like, what if they have a snack? So my kids, you know, they have an afternoon snack at school and they get home and they're still hungry and there's a couple hours till dinner. So would you say, yep, go for it, have another one? Or is it good for them to get used to being a little hungry so that they eat their full dinner? I, yeah, I would let them have another one. Um, I find that with with kids, usually like a, a good like rule of thumb for how long between each eating interval is maybe between like two and three, three and a half hours. But um, I find that like that, that afternoon time, I find that that's really common. The kids are so hungry. They've had a long day of school, but what parents have sometimes complained to me about was, well, they come home, they eat for like two hours straight, and then they're not hungry for dinner time. Um, so a lot of times what I recommend is, okay, make that afternoon snack, something substantial, like maybe, um, cheese and an apple or like an egg, like something that, you know, is really filling, that's really nutritious. And even if they're not as hungry at dinner time, like that's okay. Maybe use dinner time as a time to kind of 
explore new foods or, you know, just being together with the family. Um, like that's okay too. We, I think like with the snacked, the snacking, like some kids will might might eat more at a snack time than they will at what we consider traditional meal time. And that's okay. We again want to like honor their hunger and their satiety throughout the day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have a friend who does first dinner and second dinner. Mm. <laughs> and that works great for their family. Like, And that's the that same concept of like they actually provide like a mini dinner for the afternoon snack because the kids are hungry enough to eat something like that. And then they just have a smaller second dinner, you know. Um, amazing. Rachel, thank you. Can you please, please tell our listeners how, how can they find you? How can they find out more about what you do? Any resources that you have available to parents? Like give us your social media handles, all the things, please. Yes, definitely. So my, um, the name of my business, it's Nutrition in Bloom. And that's my website, nutritioninbloom.com. I have a really great guide. It's called Four Steps to Trying New Foods. And it includes some of the stuff we talked about here and goes really deeper into how we can really foster this trying new foods and really this like respectful approach. So that's just at my website, nutritioninbloom.com slash slash guide. Um, I'm also on Facebook in Nutrition and Bloom. And from there, I have a Facebook, a private Facebook um, group that you can join. And we talk about, I have recipes and feeding tips and um, different things there. And then finally, also on Instagram, my handle is nutrition.in.bloom. Oh, thank you again, Rachel. This was really helpful and not just eye-opening and informative, but also guilt relieving and relaxing. I mean, it's just so encouraging to hear that we've often in a way made this harder for ourselves than we needed to. And so how refreshing to hear from you. I I always explain that it's simple, but it's not easy. So it's it's a simple concept, but then like actually putting it into practice, it's sometimes a little bit harder to kind of wrap your mind around it. So uh, we've said that many times on the podcast, haven't we, Kira? Yes. I was just going to say, well, we resonate with that. The concept of raising an adult is very simple, but not necessarily easy. <laughs> simple framework, not so easy on the execution. So we completely resonate with that. Totally get it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to share with us today, Rachel. We really appreciate it. So nice to chat with you. Well, listeners, hopefully you gained as much out of that as Kira and I did. (laughs) Really reach out to her if you feel like you need help beyond what you got here, because she's clearly fabulous and and just a, a wealth of knowledge. So we're grateful to her. And we just hope it was helpful to all of you out there, FFPs who are working to do your best to raise your adults and might be having your own challenges at the dining room table. And we also want to remind you, of course, that you are our main marketing team. It's it's you who help get the word out. So please tell your friends if Raising Adults podcast has been helpful to you. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe. You can find our podcast on all major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, all the places. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And we'd love to invite you to follow us on social media as well. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram at Future Focused Parenting. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in three places today. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>